British actress Katie Manning has been a star of stage and screen for over five decades. Her list of co-stars reads like a veritable who's who of the acting world and includes luminaries such as Jack Klugman, Derek Nimmo, and of course, her partner, Barry Crocker, the legendary Australian performer. Despite her varied repertoire and success across three continents, in England, she's perhaps best remembered for her starring role in the long-running BBC television series, Doctor Who. I recently had the pleasure to speak with Katie about her remarkable career, and we began by talking about how her fledgling career could have taken a very different trajectory. Katie, you found success very early in your career in England on television, but even prior to that, you had another amazing opportunity when, as a young woman in New York, you were actually offered a five-year contract by MGM Studios. Can you tell me about that experience? Yes. My parents were flown over, etc., etc. but I never felt right about it, and I hadn't even decided I wanted to be an actress. And, you know, then I had a dreadful car crash, which put me out for like two years. But no, it was it was never meant to be. And my father gave me the information, which I thought was very useful. At that age, you don't take much notice of your parents, but I did. Daddy said, if you sign a contract, you can do five years and do absolutely nothing, but you're contracted. You can do one thing and still contracted. And I decided I wanted to learn a lot more about, I mean, I'd been around that business all my life, especially, you know, in my teenage years. And I decided I wanted to learn more. So I decided after I'd had my car crash and, you know, that was like over two years of my life gone completely. I decided I would audition for drama schools. And the first one that took me would get me for things. (laughs) So I have to ask about Doctor Who. The show had been around for quite a few years before you joined and had had something of a slump until the 1970s rolled along and suddenly John Pertwee was the titular character. We had a new producer, Barry Letts, Terence Dix, this ensemble cast with Nick Courtney, John Levine, Richard Franklin, and obviously you. As a young actress coming in then to this well-established show, which history shows this was actually the peak of its popularity in terms of ratings. So as a young actress, what was it like suddenly being propelled into what was becoming a phenomena. Well, you know, people think a lot more about these things. You know, I was much more interested in all the, you know, the special effects and the extra, you know, this, I had done a major groundbreaking series prior to that. So I'd already experienced, which was a very adult series, but this was a whole different ball game. And I had seen back in the days of William Hartnell, I'd seen Doctor Who and I thought, wow, this is a great program. But, you know, I hadn't thought, oh, gosh, one day I want to be in this. It's a very different thinking now because of the success of Doctor Who over many, many, many years now. But back then, I was just very excited as a young actress to have got my second job with an incredible part, with the most amazing actors that I was going to learn so much from. And I was fascinated by the special effects and by Dudley Simpson and Brian Hodgson and all the different things that were going on. And I didn't fully realize, I wasn't thinking, oh, has this got a great viewing rating? You know, these things didn't enter my head back then. And when I started to realize it becomes sort of like a cult show. And, you know, it's a show that has always 
embraced children, but the audience now is from every age group. I mean, I've got fans from, you know, like four years old going up to 94. What people don't realize, what we know now, we didn't know then. We didn't have all the social media. People weren't sort of counting numbers unless you actually worked for the BBC or Thames Television or whatever, you know. Uh, You as an actor weren't looking at how many people might be watching you. But it did start to happen that, you know, I started to, I had been recognized from the other series, but this really, you know, people were starting to recognize me everywhere. And I was learning how it was, even though I'd learned it from the greatest back in my younger days. You were a regular on Doctor Who for three years. And then in fairly short order, you left the show, John Pertwee left, the producer Barry Letts left. Was there kind of a repertory company type feel there that meant when one person decided to leave, it was almost like a group decision, like, hey, it's time for all of us to pack up and try something different? Or was it just circumstantial? Very sadly, at that point, we had already had the loss of Roger Delgado, who was, right. you know, first master. So that was a character that had been introduced, but you can't keep having the same characters coming back all the time, obviously the program has to make the changes as well. And I mean, if you had the same assistant for, you know, the same companion for too long. And so I guess, you know, it was time for new producers when eventually they came. John had decided that he wanted to go on to do other things because, you know, a lot of people are quite happy to stay in a series for 20 years. But Doctor Who has always been known to make changes. It keeps growing. It keeps expanding itself into new times, new eras, which it has to do if it's going to keep running. You know, John and Liz had a good time together, but Liz found her absolute in Tom, as I had found my absolute in John. You know, I think sometimes you do feel the loss of how it was working, the way it was working for you. So in answer to that, everybody makes their own decisions and also the producers decide maybe we should be moving on and this character needs to go or that character needs to go. After Doctor Who, though, you ended up, you know, for your kids going to Australia temporarily but then that turned into what two decades a very long lifetime (laughs) which was certainly not doctor who driven when i was there you know i mean i had Mm -hmm. to i knew one person i had two very sickly children was a six-month plan because i'd had some difficult times you know doing a show in the west end sleeping in the hospital when the children were ill and then going and doing a show and then going back the doctor said you know a warmer climate and i thought my girlfriend in america said, you know, come to the States. I thought, no, that doesn't feel right. And so I decided to take a punt and, you know, go to Australia and spend just a few months there. And then I came back and the children got sick again. And so I went, you know, I came back and did another West End show. And and I ended up having a wonderful, wonderful, you know, very diverse career in Australia. And with a partner who's still my partner to this day, Barry Crocker. It's interesting with Barry because amongst your own huge repertoire you are particularly well known for your involvement with doctor who which has been on the air now for 60 years while barry within britain is probably best known for his role creating the theme tune for neighbors another decades-long success a soap opera made in australia that became actually much more popular in britain but while he's best known for that in the uk in Australia, Barry Crocker was a huge star in of himself, long before Neighbours and above and beyond Neighbours, correct? Barry had a very long career. He had right. the long-running light entertainment show on Australian television. 
you know, he was a huge name when I met him. I didn't know who he was until I was cast in a play with him. And then I said, who is this Barry Crocker? And he'd actually seen me do a play with Martin Shaw and apparently had met me. And I'd said, hi. And he was used to people stopping and saying, oh, how lovely. And I just said, hello, lovely to meet you. And off I went on a motorbike, apparently. We met a couple of times. And then when I was cast with him, I thought, I must find out who this man is. And of course, you know, everywhere you went, everybody knew who Barry Crocker was. So they're going, what? You don't know who Barry Crocker is? <laughs> and uh, he ended up by playing my husband in a play. But the neighbor's theme was he just did that as a favor because Tony Hatch and Jackie Trent were great friends of his and became great friends of mine. And they'd said to him, apparently, you know, come and do this song. So that was already running. But I didn't know anything about all that, you see. You know, I was in a different country and I hadn't really got neighbours into my being. And it wasn't sort of thought about. He wasn't known back then for being the singer of Neighbours. He was known as Barry Crocker. We worked together. You know, I directed it. He wrote Banjo. We worked on that for three years together. And then I directed it. He directed me in my one-woman show where I play nine characters in Me and Jezebel. We've done so much together. We did Educating Rita together. My partner to this day, darling, just released his second book. And Australia, obviously, is a huge country by comparison with Britain. But looking at your biography and hearing about your work, I mean, you've literally covered the length and breadth of the country performing. You know, there's not one bit of Australia I haven't been to. I've been right in the middle of the outback where there is nothing. (laughs) They've set up like, a you know, you've got a tin shack and you go in and you do a show. I've done everything from the opera house to that. And then, of course, I was the voice of UK TV. And then I had my own little chat show on UK TV. I did a huge amount. That's when I discovered all the voice that John Pertwee said, one day you should be doing all these wacky voices. And I became as known as the voice to get when you don't know what you want. So you mentioned voice work. And within the broader realm of Doctor Who, in recent years, like many former actors from the TV series, you've been involved with the audio productions, some of them by Big Finish, BBC and so forth. Was that something that kind of led you into doing voice work more broadly? Well, not really. I mean, I've always done voices. I mean, I've just done three books where I have 50 voices. I wrote a play, Not a Well Woman, 26 voices. I did the play, Me and Jezebel, with nine different characters on stage. John Pertwee and I used to do voices together. And then Barry Crocker said to me, you should use these voices. I said, no, I just use them to make everybody laugh. Even on Big Finish, you know, I've just played an ice warrior. I was in Dracula playing the nun and Dorian Gray. I've done so many different voices. I'm a bit mental. I can, because it's, I multi-voice, which means instead of, doing all one voice and then all another voice. I do all the voices as they come off the page. And and even when I did my play, Not a Well Woman, I did two performances in America. I did all 26 characters on stage without no wigs, no changes, nothing, just body and voice. Because of your success and your renown as a very talented actress and a well-known actress, you've worked with all kinds of people down the years, huge names. One that struck me though was I saw you worked with Jack Klugman who for my generation growing up I was in college and he was this huge figure because the tv show Quincy had this kind of rebirth and daytime television but his best known work is obviously The Odd Couple both the television series and the stage play and you actually appeared alongside him in the stage play what was that experience like working with Jack Klugman? We did The Odd Couple with Jack Klugman and Tony Randall and then some lovely Australian actors playing the other characters. Actually, I think that was my first 
job in Australia. Yes, it was. Jack Klugman's an absolute sweetie, but you have to make sure when you're doing a matinee that if there's any horse racing going on, you've got to have the results coming up so that he can see them from the stage. <laughs> he was absolutely lovely, a, a delightful man to work with. And Tony Randall was really fascinating. I mean, he's had an extraordinary, he had an extraordinary career. Picking up on your point about the stage and kind of creating your own environment, especially if you're doing a one-woman show where there aren't as many visual aspects to it, for example. Does that mean that you feel more at home on the stage because of that kind of creativity and flexibility? Would you say that the stage is your preference as opposed to television? No, television. I started in television. Television is my absolute passion. I love the theatre. I go to the theatre. I have done so many plays, I can't even remember how many I've done. Sound is my friend because I was born with very little sight before they even found out. So sound has always been my friend, always been able to hear voices. I mean, I could do Popeye at six. <laughs> That's a very scary thing for your parents to suddenly hear their child go, bang, bang. You know, that's scary. As a mother, I think if I heard either of my children doing that, I'd be going, oh, what have I got? What have I birthed? Anyway, uh, so I've always done voices. Although you use, usually on stage, you're playing one character, you know, whether it's Rita in your Liverpool or whether it's, you know, I've, I've so many different characters from different places. I've played French on stage, you know, all sorts of things. But with voices, Audio is brilliant. When you're doing them, you don't just do a voice. You have to take on the entire visual. I mean, when I did these three books that Paul Mars wrote with the 50 voices, I had to visualize being a depressed vending machine. I had to visualize being wardrobes that doors flew open. They run around killing people. You know, I had to voice sea captains. I had to voice little kiddies. So you actually have to, in your head, physicalize and become that character. Because if I can't see it, you won't see it. You do it on stage, you have to be so clear. When I was doing Me and Jezebel, which was a true story about Betty Davis, you know, at one point there's like four of us in a car. Betty Davis, the woman who wrote the actual play, because it's a true story, the kitty in of four in the back who's kicking Betty's seat, the husband who's like, I had to be all four of them, all interacting in different emotions. So you have to be basically nuts. But, you know, when I recorded Not a Well Woman, which is the play I wrote, I just did the voice, all the voices, right down from newborn babies crying to teenagers, so many different characters. But they all have to be very, very clear because when you're listening, you have to give those pictures to the people listening. It's not just a question of standing there and doing a voice. So this interview is going to air later this month in November at roughly the same time as it happens to be the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who. After a long period of doing other work in America, Australia, and the UK, you returned to Doctor Who through an appearance on the spin-off series, The Sarah Jane Adventures, with the late Liz Sladen. You also popped up more recently in a Doctor Who episode with Jodie Whittaker. Having been away for so long, and taking into account, you know, you talked about the challenges of making Doctor Who back in the day with things like special effects, sound effects, and so forth. Now we have so much technology. So in a sense, it's easier for directors to realize something visually on screen that 40, 50 years ago, we may have had, you know, animatronics or puppets and things of that nature. So when you have returned to Doctor Who, 
does it still feel like the show it was when you were there before or because of the improvements in technology and just you know changes in television does it feel different to the show you worked on with John Pertwee and Barry Letts all those years ago? You've got the same feeling. Doctor Who has this incredible sort of feeling of familiarity. And I mean, you know, the TARDIS, although it changes its decor, it's still the TARDIS. The Doctor's still the Doctor, even though the actors changed, the age has changed, female, male. It's still got that same feeling to it. The wonderful line that I had when I went into the TARDIS, when I did the Sarah Jane adventures of Matt Smith. Great line. And she walks in, she said, it still smells the same. And that's exactly what it is. Just because things have moved on, because I've moved on with them, the feeling, the kind of camaraderie, the family, the smell is still exactly the same. But I was very lucky to be at a time for a young actress when they were making learning. You know, we had to borrow a freeze frame machine from the sports department because it was this brand new thing and only the sports department had one. Barry Letts fought hard for a bigger budget to work on special effects. You know, I was really learning how to work with, you know, green screen where you're not seeing what you're seeing was on a a little tiny TV screen, which without my glasses, I couldn't see. So (laughs) I had to really learn my movement and everything with it. And working with people like, and becoming very close friends with people like Pran Hodgson, who did all those wonderful little incidental sounds. And watching all the different things they would say, well, wait a minute, if I grab hold of this cabbage and I stick it in front of a fan and get a knife, I'll get that sound I want. I mean, this was wonderful. And it's a show that's inspired so many people to go into different areas of the arts, you know, and the sciences. And in so many of the fans, you also realise it helped them through some very, very difficult childhoods. And then you find, you know, fans like Russell T. Davis is like, you're sitting there chatting to him and he says, you do realise I'm, you know, he's a huge fan and Mark Gatiss and things. And it's just so wonderful. (laughs) It's given so many people the most incredible life and Doctor Who continues I think so well because everybody that comes into it all the actors that come in to play the Doctor all bring their own magic and their own creativity to the same character so I always think of it really it's the heart of the actor and the heart of the Doctor and that gives you your two hearts and all the people the directors and the technical people I mean they're all people who've grown up saying I want to do things like this so Doctor Who is made with enormous love to this day from the very first time I joined it. And I know from all the other people I know who worked in it right from Hartnell days. And I worked with the three doctors. So, I mean, I, you know, I worked with Pat Troughton. They all have this incredible love for this show. And I think that's the magic of Doctor Who.